Okay. Welcome back, everyone, to episode three of Like Riding a Bike. That's riding with a W. I'm your host, Alex Gast, as always, and I'm here today with a very exciting guest. Her first novel, The City is a Rising Tide, came out in 2006, which she followed up shortly in 2013 with Bobcat and Other Stories, which is one of, if not the best short story collections I've ever had the pleasure of reading. She is a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop MFA program, if you've heard of it, and is currently an associate professor of creative writing at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. And I'm getting a little out of breath reading all of her accolades, but last but not least, she was recently awarded a 2023 Guggenheim Fellowship in the fiction category. So very excited to speak with you today, if you want to say hey. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. The pleasure is all mine. I'm so thrilled to have you here. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Sure. Yeah. Well, how's your day, first of all? Pretty good. Um, It's like a kind of a second summer here now. I suppose it is there too. It's like 85 degrees. It is, but this is like our last day. We're getting fall again shortly, which is nice. But do you get much of a fall in Wilmington? Uh, not really. It kind. Of, I was just thinking this morning that when I first moved here, you know, coming from Canada, I kept waiting for the other foot to fall and winter to come. And then, you know, I've been here for two decades and it just has never come. So, mm. And big oil is coming for our falls and coming for our winters too. So. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. Oh. I think we'll get some questions rolling if you're yep. ready. But I'm ready. Um, in, in doing research for this, um, I, of course, I reread Bobcat and Other Stories, which the pleasure was all mine. It's such a thrill to read. Um, and I was just do- poking around online about it. And a word that comes up so often is poetry, which is surprising because you're a fiction writer. Um, and one of the reviews on Bobcat is by Jonathan Franzen. And he says of your work, beautiful and insane and unlike any other. The comedy lures you in. The scenes seduce you. The poetry stabs you in the heart. So I poked around a little bit more and found out you actually got your start in poetry. So this is kind of, this is a long question, but a two-parter, I guess. One, what is the role you feel poetics plays in your fiction? And then I guess on a larger scale, if you could speak to the interplay between the two genres. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So yeah, you know, poetry is sometimes like the gateway drug to all types of different genres. Cause when you're like, I don't know, 15, my young self took to poetry immediately. Like it felt like the most expressive type of writing. And I have never returned to it as a writer. Um, like once I started writing fiction, but I read it pretty religiously almost every day I read poetry. And I, I, I remember when I was a, a young student doing an MFA, um, one of my teachers said, the fastest way to improve your writing as a fiction writer is, and like, you know, we were all poised for what the answer to that question was. Pens at the ready. Yeah. And he said, um, read poetry. So, you know, there's this idea that poets keep the language alive for the rest of us. And so that's kind of like always, I'm, I, I feel like I am getting better as a fiction writer whenever I'm reading poetry. Hmm. Well, that is so evident in your prose. Um, it's it's just so rich. Um, and I guess that's that's a segue into another question, which is 
your your work is obviously it's fiction so it's plot driven to a certain extent but I almost get the sense when I'm reading that there's like priority given to characters and and just really rich prose over plot which is not to say that the plots aren't um complex and captivating and everything but it's it's almost like each story you do is a little character study so I was wondering like when you get an idea to write a story do you see a character first or a circumstance or just walk me through it that's such a good question it's and it's such a preoccupation for you know anybody who's working in narrative like people in nonfiction or screenwriters or fiction writers like what are you doing with plot and like what's the intersection of plot and character and i i have a a close friend a writer who did a bfa at oberlin and this was years ago but she said they weren't allowed to use the word plot the entire time they were at school because they thought it solidified young writers towards um you know a certain idea of plot like things need to happen in a story rather than like you know energizing characters to you know act and that creates its own type of plot or a different way of of plot but i you know sometimes i have a a graduate class last semester i had a graduate class last semester and we spent the first day coming up with different words for plot because I find the word plot overwhelms some some love it and some take to it but we had all these really interesting ways of thinking about it like one is consequence um, another way of thinking about it is like a kind of eventfulness like so that you're putting kind of um, events in your characters lives rather than like making characters act out your events mm-hmm. and then I saw this great thing I wish I could show a clip of it now it was the makers of South Park talking about okay in a poor plot the writer is saying this happened and then this happened and then this happened and in a great plot they're saying this happened but then this happened and as a consequence this happened Mm. so i really like that idea that like somehow your events are like catching gears that are turning into other events so anyway i mean all that to say is that i am i'm working on a novel now and i struggle with that all the time like how how much are you building scenes and how much are the characters like genuinely alive inside those scenes that's such a good way to put that and and based on what I've read of your work, I, be- I believe your characters are coming to life just fine. Thank you. I hope so. But I've poked around a little bit about um, the project you're working on currently. Um, and I-, I understand if it's like your baby and you can't talk about it yet. Oh, no, I'm very I'm very rough about that. So I can an- answer anything. Awesome. Well, a lot of what I've been asking people about on this podcast is their craft process. So since you're immersed like within the craft process right now, um, I know you were talking about using um, some of the opportunities Guggenheim has presented you for like researching this novel. So just what what your process looks like, I guess. Yeah. So the manuscript now is kind of a like parts of it feel finished and OK, like I could bear for another human to read them. And then parts of it are in that kind of I don't know if you'll relate to this, but like that embarrassing stage where like, I could never let even someone glance at it over my shoulder because mm. it looks like a mind on the outs with itself. So it it's kind like, it's weird how the book is like, it's like having a, like a classroom of five-year-olds and some of them are perfectly 
well behaved and other of them are, you know, like ransacking the place. So, <laughs> um, so I'm kind of in, I, like my process is a little bit strange right now because I'm trying to um, fix parts of it and then polish other parts of it. So it's funny, I was talking with a writer friend yesterday and I was telling her my exact writing schedule during the day and we were laughing about how I could never really publicly talk about it because it's too eccentric and strange. But basically to summarize it, I'm sort of working in micro bursts during the day. Like I do a little bit of work and then I go back to other parts of my life. And then I, I just keep returning to the book again and again and again through the day. Uh, when I was a young writer, I didn't do that. I wrote till noon every day and then I lived the rest of my life. And that seemed like a really great way to live. Like you do your work in the morning and then you live the rest of your life such that you can work the next morning. Like you do whatever mm. you need to do, get everything out of the way. So you you preserve that sacred time. And I would say I worked that way for decades and I loved it. And then I guess my life just got kind of, I have a, a daughter your age. And so, she, you know, I, my life had to change according to her schedule too. And I just started writing more in like sort of bits and pieces throughout the day. And now it is kind of like a safe haven in the day. Like when things get scattered and out of control, like my writing is always kind of waiting for me and I've come to rely on it as sort of like a, a security throughout the day. That's beautiful. So are, are these stints like purely sporadic? Like are they different, different lengths of time or do you have like a, um, a general window of time you write? It's a little bit sporadic now that I think about it. Um, it's kind of when I can find the time. I mean, sometimes I plan it out at the start of the day, like I'm going to write at nine and then I'm going to write again at 12 and at three. Um, but you know, even as I'm saying this to you, my younger self is just rebelling against this and is saying like, that's a terrible way to write. You need to like <laughs> devote yourself to it first thing in the day that, you know, when I did an MFA, that's what we were taught is like, you give your best hours to the work. Mm. And then, you know, like one good thing about my MFA was this almost religious feeling that it was the most important thing you could do with your time and you needed to arrange your life around it. Now I don't, I guess I kind of live like that still, but a little bit less maybe pretentiously now or something, mm. a little bit more practically. And that sounds freeing, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, one thing I do find is that once you find a system, it's so precious. And I was talking to a, a young writer who was working on a novel and the novel was, you know, really giving him a lot of trouble. And I was like, you got to always remember, like, if whatever you're working on, like it's a gift, like you have to cling to it and love that you were given it. Cause I know, you know, I'm 56 now and there's times that I went through when I didn't have something I was working on. And then it's like you're cast adrift in the sea. So even if something is giving, you know, a writer problems, it's a boat or something. I don't know what the right metaphor is. It's a raft. I love that. That's so well said. Oh, thank you. Yeah, another question I had for you that's sort of unrelated, but you you started with the novel and then, um, or correct me if I'm wrong, your first published piece mm -hmm. was a novel. I know yes. um, Fialta predated that, but then was added to Bobcat. So then you sort of went to short stories and now you're back at novels. So what has that journey been like for you? Well, like in terms of how I wrote it, I mostly wrote those short short stories first. Oh, okay. And then I wrote the novel and I just happened to 
in those days, it was a little bit easier to publish a novel than a book of short stories. So I hadn't even really tried to publish the short. I mean, I hadn't tried to. And interestingly, that novel is really short, too. I started writing it as a short story, and then it just kind of got a little bit too big. And then I was like, I guess it's a novella. And then it's, it is kind of novella length, honestly. Okay. And we did that thing, that freshman comp thing, where like we just made the margins really big and tried to make it look more like a novel. But Play the system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but I really love the novel because, and I, I even kind of write short stories as if I'm writing a novel, they take so long. Like the like uh, the main story in Bobcat, titled Bobcat, took me 10 years to write, which, and it's like a little short story. Wow. But, and it's just one dinner party. And, you know, I, for some reason today, I'm talking about this a lot, but like about writing as security, but I did love returning to that same dinner party over and over and over again. I think a certain writer would be so bored with that. Like they want to be exploring new worlds all the time. And I like love that and revere that. But for me, it was like as life changes and gets out of control for me, I like to return to like the same problems in fiction over and over again. Mm. So I and I, I like the novel for that reason too. There's a kind of a safety in just returning to the same thing again and again for me psychologically it's like therapy maybe or something Mm. and and I love that you talked about Bobcat specifically because I'm I'm fascinated with that story and I figured it took you a really long time to write because it is one dinner party but there's this sense that there's just so much going on and there's so many moving pieces so I like to think that that world got like more complicated and um polished the the more you return to it yeah I like that yeah um so I guess while we're talking about the story Bobcat, like you're writing that story, you keep returning to it. How long did it take until this like full dinner party had played out and then we were just going back and adding to it? Or did it really take all those 10 years to flesh out? Yeah, I mean, in a way, it just seems crazy to me now. Like I wish I could show you around my apartment because the top shelf of my bookshelf is all dedicated to Donner Party books and histories of the Donner Party. And like in the story, it's like three lines it got whittled down to. So I think I just kind of write big and maximalist. And then I, I, in the revision process, I make it seem like concise. And sometimes I think like you as a, it's one of the great things about being a writer is you can make yourself seem much smarter and wittier than you really are because you're like choosing from like 10 pages and like just a paragraph and that, you know, you can't, you can't do that in life. You have to just kind of stumble through your words, but on the, you can't, you can't refine everything. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, no, I love that you brought up that Donner, the Donner party detail. Cause that really is such a, like, magical little moment in the story it's funny and it's poignant um so knowing knowing how much went into that is yeah that's really cool yeah um you were talking a little bit in your current book about how it's at a stage or parts of it are at a stage where you're like not comfortable sharing it um with editors or like anyone I guess was my impression um and and as a writer like I'm there all the time um and so I guess what's your personal criteria where you're like, I'm ready for another set of eyes to have a look at this? Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question, especially uh, for 
for students of writing because you have to show work before you're ready to show it. Constantly, yeah. Which is a terrible feeling. I mean, I think workshop is much harder than in that way than the whole rest of one's writing career because it's much easier for me to send my work to an editor when I'm ready to do that. And then you also just get one rejection from that editor or an agent or whatever. Whereas like giving it to a bunch of other writers and asking them to comment on it is a really strange, there's no other feelings like that in life. It's hard to explain unless you've been through it. Yeah. We used to call it the inner core meltdown because you just <laughs> be like, I'm so sorry that you have to read this. Especially when you know, like I've, I've, had to bring a piece to workshop before and I'm like I know that this is not ready to be looked at and I trust in it and I believe in its future but like at this moment in time I'm not ready to share it and I have to share it it is so true and like sometimes there's like it's like a little fledgling idea and like in the writer's mind and in their imagination it's great there's this beautiful thing it's going to turn into but it's not there yet but only you know it's going to get there right I mean sometimes I think of it like now that I've raised a child I think of it almost like raising a child like you wouldn't send a five-year a five-year-old in to do like a PhD defense right you'd be like I need to protect them right from that room (laughs) they got to grow up a little bit more yeah yeah but you would kind of challenge them a little bit like they do get to go to their you know whatever their Christmas concert at their school but um So, but trying to come up with appropriate things like that with, you know, how to protect your work and also get readers feedback and also like respect the readers feedback, but Mm. also have your own idea of what you want to do. It's like, those are really deep. That's a deep practice for the writer. Yeah, it's, it's complicated for sure. And I, um, I had Sophie Klar on here last week, the poet, um, and we were talking a little bit about like, um what it's like to be a student of creative writing and like what a wonderful gift that is but also in like a workshop and like product oriented world it's it is like different and and the people we're learning from are people who've published things and taken really a tremendous amount of time with their craft like um like people who've taken 10 years to write things and then of course it's like all right now you're gonna have a story by Thursday that we're ready to look at and and I don't know if there's any other way to do it. And and I guess all of y'all went through the same thing. But um, how did your mindset change, I guess, as a... Because I was competitive. That's the understatement of the century. But, but moving from workshopping at Iowa to writing for yourself and being able to take the time you want, what was that? What was that shift like for you? Yeah. Um, it's so funny because I've... I've since then, like I graduated in the early nineties. So I have watched so many other MFA students transition between those two. So like my own is kind of lost in the crowd almost like I can't quite remember how I did it. Mm. Um, Although I do have a strong sense. And like, this is something I can only see looking backwards of how many times I've had to like adjust or how many times I've had to manage my own self as a writer, like my time, my ambition, uh, you know, like you have to always be finding the ambition that suits you. Like you need an exciting ambition. Like some writers are like, they get super excited by the idea of finishing a story and I'm going to publish this and it's going to whatever, like, you know, 
it's like the it's the end that's really like their ambition is leading towards. And for me, like I'm much more, and especially as I get older, I'm much more practice oriented. Like I really want a deep practice every day, almost like doing yoga or something. Right. Where that's that's the ambition that makes me really excited. Like maybe tomorrow I'll write the best paragraph I've ever written. So if you can find your own ambition or your own type of ambition that like um, that gets you excited about the work, that's I was gonna say it's half the battle, but I think that's actually the whole battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that like I think that workshop can help with that, but it can also interfere with that. Um, I think it's the way I'm I'm thinking of it is that it's like a canon event that all writers have to go through is is like having your having to think about your work that way and then you sort of like naturally evolve your thought process but I love that yeah like you become your true self as a writer only after you get through workshops right but it's like formative in a sense like you need to go through it so yeah like and and you know even writers who don't do it in academia they usually have writing groups like they're writers need a way to access readers at a certain time and start thinking about what their reader wants and i was discussing this with my grad class the other day like ideally i think this happens for a writer at whatever age they go through a workshop they encounter a lot of different readers and they get feedback from different readers about what it was like to read their work and they start to think of it in a more kaleidoscopic way Mm. and then the perfect reader somehow enters the writer and lives in the writer and you are in that relationship for the rest of your life so you're not so much even thinking about the reader anymore like the reader is you that's beautiful so then Would it can like be ideal? become more individual and oh my gosh that's amazing that's what i'm yeah. looking towards i know well still me too but like that, <laughs> that we came up with that as the ideal i love that well and and everything you said about like falling in love with the the process and the practice rather than the the end product is just amazing i love that a lot um, Good. Well, I want to be respectful of your time and you've been so generous with me already, but if you have any closing thoughts um, on craft or, or what the future holds for you and your new project, I guess I'd love to hear it. I do have something that I just thought about the other day that like, I want to say to you and publicly. Yes. Um, I mean, this is true for young writers and for older writers that they're like there's a there's a tendency to think when you're young you're training for when you're older. Like this is practice for when you're going to really write the thing that you want to write. But in fact, I've been noticing more and more there's things that people can write when they're young that they can't write when they're old. Like there's a kind of brain there's an energy in the brain that isn't accessible when you're older and there's a type of energy in my brain that wouldn't be accessible to someone who's younger. And so like, there's only one time you can write what you need to write. And it's like, it's passing by like, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, I, I, that, that thought like kind of lit up my whole past that, you know, when I look back, it's almost like it was a different person writing those pages and it's a different person writing them now. And you just have to keep working. I guess that's what I meant. It's just, reminder to every you know all these writers in my life have reminded me constantly to just keep working that's the most important thing that is such a nugget of wisdom that you just dropped so casually 
But Good. yeah, we we're talking a lot in all my classes about like what it's like to publish when you're young and like then look back on that stuff and be like, I would never write that now. And and kind of the beauty in that, that, that we need to grow up in the public eye and be writing what's true to us at the time, um, even yes. if it's not consistent with us in the future. Absolutely. So, lovely to hear you reiterate that in such a poignant way. That was awesome. Oh, good. So, good. okay, well, thank you so much. Um, I will, I've actually seen that South Park clip that you mentioned, so I'll link that in the, oh, good. In the description for this. But um, you were so generous with your brain, with your time. Um, you too, Alex. Thank you. And really, I'm very excited for this new book whenever whenever it hits shelves. So Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, tune in next week, y'all. Um, we'll, have, we'll have a hell of an episode for you. So bye.